For your Bibles and stand with me, and we'll read from Matthew 18. So turn to Matthew chapter 18. As Pastor Bruce continues in the fall series on relationships, ruining them and then restoring them God's way, we'll be reading Matthew chapter 18, verses 21 through 35. Matthew 18, verses 21 through 35. If you need a Bible, there's a pew Bible right in front of you, and you can turn to Matthew, and we'll be reading that together this morning. Then Peter came to him and said, Lord, how often shall my brother sin against me and I forgive him? Up to seven times? Jesus said to him, I do not say to you up to seven times, but to seventy times seven. Therefore, the kingdom of heaven is like a certain king who wanted to settle accounts with his servants. And when he had begun to settle accounts, one was brought to him who owed him ten thousand talents. But as he was able, not able to pay, his master commanded that he be sold with his wife and children and all that he had, and that payment be made. The servant fell bef- down before him, saying, Master, have patience with me, and I will pay you all. Then the master of that servant was moved with compassion, released him, and forgave him the debt. But that servant went out and found one of his fellow servants who owed him a hundred denarii. And he laid hands on him and took him by the throat, saying, Pay me what you owe. So his fellow servant fell down at his feet and begged him, saying, Have patience with me, and I will pay you all. And he would not, but went and threw him into prison till he should pay the debt. So when his fellow servants saw what had been done, they were very grieved, and came and told their master all that had been done. Then his master, after he had called him, said to him, You wicked servant, I forgave you all the debt because you begged me. Should you not also have had compassion on your fellow servant, just as I had pity on you? And his master was angry and delivered him to the torturers until he should pay all that was due to him. So my heavenly Father also will do to each of you from his heart, if you from his heart does not forgive his brother his trespasses. Father, we come to you this morning. We thank you for your word, uh, the guide to our lives and how to restore relationships. And uh, we pray that we would have open hearts and open minds to learn from what you would have for us this morning in forgiving each other. In Jesus' name, amen. And uh, if you were here with us last Sunday, we talked about the importance, the urgency, if you will, of resolving conflicts quickly. You may be wondering why. Well, because Satan is seeking a place in our hearts called grudge. So let's begin with a question here. Do you got a grudge? Are you holding on to a grudge even now? You know, a grudge. Oh, you may not be able to physically see it, but hidden in your heart is a grudge that you're holding on to. It's so easy to hold a grudge, isn't it? Someone hurts you, someone sins against you, someone wrongs you, and instead of forgiving them, you hold a grudge against them. But you should know that holding a grudge is like grasping a hot coal with the intent of throwing it at them, but instead you're the one who's getting burned. You know you should let it go, but you don't. In fact, you won't. And so you keep holding it. In fact, for some of you, you've walked into church with it here. You even still have it. You're holding it now. But you need to understand that your grudge is weighing you down. It's wearing you out. And so that grudge is not only killing you inside out, but it's, it's killing your relationships with other people. 
In fact, a surefire way to ruin relationships is to keep holding your grudge against them. So if you want to ruin that relationship, just hold a grudge. If you want to begin the process of restoring relationships, restoring the relationship with somebody who has hurt you, offended you, wronged you, whatever the case may be, then let go of the grudge through forgiveness. That's what we're going to learn today. That's what we're going to talk about. I'll be the first to admit, though, forgiveness is so much easier said than done, isn't it? Just ask my wife. She'll tell you that's the case with myself. And yet forgiveness has the power to bring healing to our lives, to bring healing even to relationships. When you study the life of Jesus Christ, it's interesting. You find that Jesus was and is all about forgiveness. And as Christ followers, we are now to be all about forgiveness. How about it? Are you all about giving forgiveness? Or is your life characterized? Are you all about holding on to grudges? C.S. Lewis said it well. Everyone says forgiveness is a lovely idea until they have something to forgive. No doubt there are people in your life who have injured you, wronged you, offended you. They said false things about you. They've wounded you with their actions and reactions. But regardless of how hurt you've been, the fallout, the consequences from unforgiveness hurts you even more. And nowhere is this seen more clearly than when Jesus teaches us how to pray. In fact, notice that in your notes, I invite you to follow along if you want to, or I even invite you to open up your Bibles You see this in Matthew chapter 6, verse 9. And look what Jesus says in what we commonly call the Lord's Prayer, where Jesus teaches his disciples, including us as his followers, how to pray. And he says in verse 9, Then this is how you should pray. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. You know this prayer, you're familiar with it, but what you may not know is what Jesus says down in verse 12. And forgive us our debts as we also have forgiven our debtors. As we also have forgiven our debtors. God, you mean you forgive us the same way we forgive any, everyone else? That's a little unnerving, isn't it? But verses 14 and 15, later on, explains why Jesus taught us to pray this way. Listen to what he says. For if you forgive other people when they sin against you, Your heavenly Father will also forgive you. But if you do not forgive others their sins, your Father will not forgive your sins. In other words, if we hold on to a grudge, if we hold fast to an unforgiving spirit, an unforgiving heart, then we will not be forgiven by God. And if we continue on in this way of life, living day after day, month after month, year after year, with an unforgiving heart, an unforgiving spirit, then it reveals that we have never really received God's eternal forgiveness, and we will not go to heaven because heaven is the dwelling place of who? The forgiven. Man, I'd say this is pretty serious. I'd say this forgiveness thing is a a pretty serious issue here with God. And therefore, this ought to be a pretty serious issue thing with us. What is forgiveness? Since that's what we're going to talk about, we may as well define it, be on the same page a little bit. And there's all kinds of definitions out there. 
My goal here is not to get into the technical aspects of what forgiveness is necessarily and talk about that, but to motivate us, in other words, to let God, let Jesus specifically here, motivate us to give forgiveness instead of holding grudges. But let's give just a basic definition. Forgiveness is a decision to release a person from the obligation that resulted when they injured you. Whether that was they sinned against you, hurt you, wronged you, said something, you name it. Forgiveness is, is not a feeling. Forgiveness is a choice. Forgiveness is basically saying, you don't owe me. So forgiveness is releasing someone from a debt they owe. It's forsaking revenge. It's leaving justice in God's hands and even wanting good for your offender. In other words, forgiveness is letting go of your grudge that you're holding on to against that person who wronged you and sinned against you and hurt you. You may be thinking to yourself, man, Bruce, that, that sounds great in theory, but I don't think that works in real life with real people. After all, I'm sure that there are some cases out in this world, I'm sure there are some conditions, there's got to be some causes that are just unforgivable. I imagine that God can't even forgive those people. Isn't that why hell exists? For those people you just can't forgive? Well, if you believe this way, you might find yourself in Peter's position. Peter's position? What's Peter got to do with all this? What's Peter had to do with this forgiveness stuff? Well, I'm glad you asked because we're going to talk a little bit here about Peter and Jesus on forgiveness and see what they had to say about it. Notice Peter's position on forgiveness. It's limited. Peter's position on forgiveness is limited forgiveness. We find Peter's position in Matthew chapter 18, the passage that Zach read for us. And again, I want to invite you to open your Bibles to it. I don't have it printed in your scripture, so you need to open your Bibles and follow along. And please keep in mind that as you're opening your Bibles to Matthew 18, that the context of this whole chapter here is about conflict resolution. What we talked about last Sunday. Jesus had been teaching, in effect, that if you have a problem with somebody, go work it out with them. If you can, just let it go. But if you can't, then go sit down with them and talk it out. Work it out. Why? Because nothing makes the Lord happier than to see His children living in harmony. Well, Peter's listening to all this. All this teaching from his Lord. The one he's been following for the last few years, Jesus. And no doubt began to think to himself, but, but what if the person hurt my feelings twice? In fact, what, what if that person wronged me seven times? I bet I could forgive a person seven times. So Peter came to Jesus with just a lot of confidence swelling up within him, thinking he had this forgiveness thing in the bag. In fact, notice Peter's question in verse 21. He says, Lord, how often should I forgive someone who sins against me? Seven times? Now let's just pause right there for a moment. What is Peter's position on forgiveness that he reveals about himself through this question? It's basically twofold, it's, it's, and it's wrapped up into one issue. It's arrogance and limited forgiveness. It's arrogance and limits. That's his position. Did you, know Peter's, did you notice Peter's question? Look at it again. Peter asked the Lord, if somebody sins against 
me. Am I supposed to forgive them seven times? Now, why do you think Peter arrogantly assumed that most sin on planet Earth is from others sinning against him? I mean, Peter doesn't frame the question this way. Lord, uh, you, know, I, you know, if I blow it, and if I sin against someone seven times, should they forgive me up to seven times? Oh, no, no, no. That's not what Peter says. Not the question. And that's just the problem with so many people who are still hanging on to their grudges. Many of those people have already determined that it's your fault. It's their fault. It's the conspiracy thinking, I can't believe what the government did. I can't believe what my job just did and my employer just did. I can't believe those the church just did. I can't believe what that person just did. It's the rest of the world who is wrong. It's everyone else who sins, not me. I sin not. What arrogance. So why then? Why? Why does Peter so magnanimously offer to forgive someone up to seven times? Because his position is limited forgiveness. You see, in that day, Jewish law required that you only had to forgive a person three times. Peter knows this. Peter's thinking to himself, okay, hey, I'll double the law and I'll just throw one in for good measure. And so Peter says, hey, Lord, I think it would be good for me to forgive seven times. Pretty generous of me, wouldn't you say, Lord? Now, you understand, when Peter asked Jesus how often he should forgive, what he was really doing is looking for a way out of forgiveness. In essence, Peter was looking for an excuse. Lord, what if I forgive someone seven times? Is that enough? Is there a person I don't want to forgive? Is there a sin I don't have to forgive? I need to put some limits on this forgiveness thing. That's what Peter was looking for, limits to his forgiveness. And we do the same thing so often, even as Christ followers. In fact, here are the three most common ways we put limits on our forgiveness, or three of the most common excuses we use for, for not giving forgiveness and, and holding on to our grudges. Notice this. Number one is the hurt is too big. I can't possibly forgive something that big. Wouldn't you think that the bigger the hurt, the more you would want to deal with it and get rid of it, let it go? The bigger the hurt, the more we need to forgive before we become full of bitterness. What we talked about last Sunday. A second excuse is, well, time will heal the pain. I don't have to forgive. Listen, time heals nothing. It might scar over, but you know it hasn't healed because when something or someone brings up the subject or you see the person, the pain is still there. It comes up again. The pain is still there because time is not healing it. Only forgiveness will heal your hurt. And then the last common reason or excuse we use is if I forgive, they'll just do it again. If I forgive them, they're just going to do it again. You ever felt that way? Sure, we all have. I think those fears are very reasonable, but it still doesn't justify not forgiving them. Don't forget that unforgiveness is a bigger burden to bear. And so like Peter, so often we are looking for limited forgiveness. But Peter, man, he's about to get his world turned upside down. I mean, he is about to get his mind blown away as he learns Jesus' position 
on forgiveness. And what he sees, what Jesus is going to teach him, is that his position is unlimited forgiveness. When Peter asked Jesus how often he should forgive, he offered to forgive seven times. And he was expecting Jesus to kind of say in response, Wow, what a spiritual giant you are, Peter. You're willing to forgive seven times? Holy cow, man, you're the model of forgiveness to all my disciples and followers. Man, I ought to prop you up in front of the Pharisees. And all the Jewish people here, whoa, blow me away. You can almost hear the humor in Jesus' voice when he answers in verse 22, no, not seven times, but 70 times seven. Now I'm sure Peter must have gone, wait, wait right here, Lord. I thought I was being righteous to forgive seven times, and now you're telling me I have to forgive 70 times seven? Let's see, what's the math on that? 490 times? Now that's a lot of forgiveness, Lord. Who can keep count of 490 hurts and wrongs and offenses and sins? But that's exactly the point Jesus was making. As Paul writes in 1 Corinthians 13, 5, love keeps no record of wrongs. You may think, would somebody really do the same thing 490 times? Listen, it doesn't matter. The point is, don't keep track. If you have a tally sheet on your fridge, if you have a tally sheet on your smartphone, and every time somebody does something wrong to you, you're marking it on your smartphone reminder or note list there, and you're now at 387, listen, you've got a bigger problem. Instead, Jesus is telling us, you are to forgive everyone for everything, all the time, period. Don't look for a way out. Jesus' whole point here is forgiveness is not to be measured. It's not to be counted. It is to be given freely. Why? Because forgiveness, listen to this, in God's kingdom economy is unlimited. Yeah, and we all know that in our culture's economy, it's limited. Very limited. But folks, as Christ followers, we don't, we don't function on the basis of our culture's economy. We now live and we function on the basis of kingdom living, kingdom economy, God's economy. And Jesus comes and he turns our world upside down with his position on forgiveness. And it's unlimited. And to drive home this point, Jesus now tells Peter, along with his other disciples and whoever else was listening, which includes us here listening in on this, since we have it recorded for us in God's word, he tells a story, a parable about forgiveness. Notice how it starts in verse 23. You've got to get your Bibles out. It says, therefore, the kingdom of heaven is like a certain king who wanted to settle accounts with his servants. And when he had begun to settle accounts, one was brought to him who owed him 10,000 talents. Now, a little background. One talent was roughly equivalent to a thousand weeks labor. Or almost 20 years of work. Now let me put that in perspective for you. A debt of 10,000 talents was more than a person could ever repay without winning the Holy Land Lottery. In other words, in today's economy, 
In our culture, you need to think in terms of billions of dollars. That's what this guy owed. That was his debt. Notice in verse 25. But as he was, but as he was not able to pay, his master commanded that he be sold with his wife and children and all that he had and that payment be made. Of course, this servant couldn't repay his debt. Nobody could. So the king was basically saying, hey, just throw all of them into debtor's prison. Let's cash them out, cut our losses, and get what we can and move on. Look at verses 26. The servant therefore fell down before him, saying, Master, have patience with me, and I will pay all of you, which was never going to happen. Then the master of that servant was moved with compassion, released him, and forgave him the debt. Now, this is absolutely amazing. The king released him from his debt, released him from his obligation, an astonishingly generous choice, but the story takes an even more astonishing twist. Notice what happens next in verse 28. But that servant went out and found one of his fellow servants who owed him a hundred denarii. What's a denarii? Denarius equals a day's wages. One denarius, one day's wages. So this debt was a hundred days' wages that now this other dude owed. Notice what it continues to say. And he laid hands on him and took him by the throat, saying, Pay me what you owe. So his fellow servant fell down at his feet and begged him, saying, Have patience with me, and I will pay you all. And he would not, but went and threw him into prison till he should pay the debt. It's like, hey, deja vu, Groundhog Day here. Same line as in verse 26. The guy who had been forgiven a billion dollars is now choking his friend for a bonus check. He was unwilling to forgive his fellow servant and instead threw him into prison until he could pay back what he owed. And when the king found out about this, man, he is enraged. Look what happens in verse 32. Then his master after he had called him and said to him, you wicked servant. Man, I forgave you all that debt because you begged me. Should you not also have had compassion on your fellow servant? Just as I had pity on you? And his master was angry and delivered him to the torturers until he should pay all that was due to him. And the final verse in this story, verse 35, is one you should circle in your Bibles. Mark it up, frame it up. Look what it says. So my heavenly Father also will do to you if each of you from his heart does not forgive his brother his trespasses. Now, I'm sure there's a handful of us here this morning that are already thinking about someone who has hurt us, someone who has wronged us. And I'm sure there are some of you that are still trying to come up with reasons why you don't need to forgive them. And if you're not thinking that, give it some time here this morning, because we're all thinking that. All of us will sooner or later, because that's our human nature. And for this reason, we need to answer a question. Why should I forgive? Why should I let go of my grudge through forgiveness? What I want to do is to give you two simple reasons from Jesus parable here of why we must forgive as Christ followers. Number one, I must forgive because God has forgiven me. 
I must forgive because God has graciously, extravagantly, enormously forgiven me. Jesus paints a picture in the story of an impossible situation. In a situation that we find ourselves in. A man who owed a debt so enormous that there was no feasible, possible way he could ever pay it back to the king. And like this servant, we have a sin debt we owe to God with no hope of ever paying it back. And we deserve more than a debtor's prison. Folks, we deserve the death penalty. What does Paul write in Romans 6.23? For the wages of sin is death. But the gift of God is eternal life. In the story here, the king did something that was unheard of. He saw his servant's helplessness, his servant's hopelessness, and he had pity on him. Compassion, Jesus says. But the king, get this, he also did far more than the servant asked or even deserved. He released him, and he forgave him the debt. And this is what God does for us through the blood and righteousness of Jesus Christ. He freely forgives us. Now, here are two simple takeaways from just that right there. Number one, in Christ, we have received extravagant forgiveness from God. In Christ, we have received extravagant forgiveness from God. There is no price tag that we could ever put on our sinfulness before infinitely holy God. You cannot put a price tag on it. And so when you and I, when we think to ourselves, well, I haven't sinned as much as this person or that person, and definitely not the person who hurt me. I haven't sinned as much as them. We are showing that we have basically no clue as to the extent of our own sinfulness. Our debt is enormous. But Christ has paid it all. Woo! Right? And so out of the sheer compassion... The Father, the Heavenly Father, sent His Son, His only begotten Son, to pay our sin debt on the cross. And now we are free from sin's death penalty when we put our faith and trust in what Jesus Christ did on the cross in His resurrection. Wow! We receive extravagant, enormous grace and forgiveness of God through Jesus Christ. And because, because we have received that kind of forgiveness in Christ. Notice the second takeaway here. As Christ followers, we now extend, we now give extravagant forgiveness to others. Now, Jesus is not saying in the story here that it's easy to forgive. Because it's not. There's always a cost to forgiveness, is there not? It cost our Heavenly Father, His Son, to forgive us. It was a high cost, a high price. Jesus is not even saying that it's natural to forgive. Because in our human nature, we don't want to forgive. We want to hold grudges and we want to put limits on whatever forgiveness we may give. What Jesus is trying to get us to comprehend here is that it's Christian to forgive, though. 
In fact, as Christ followers, we have no other option but to forgive. We forgive because in Christ we have received extravagant forgiveness from God. And now he enables us to extend that same extravagant forgiveness to others. In the story here, going back to the parable, in the story, the servant owed the king millions of dollars, billions of dollars, if you will, that was impossible to ever pay back. And so let me ask a question here. What does somebody owe you? Right now, what, what does somebody owe you? Millions of what? Millions of apologies? Billions of apologies? that you're still hanging over their head? Listen, Jesus is telling us through this story, let it go and release them of the debt they owe you. Extend to them what you have freely received from God. Unlimited forgiveness. How harsh, how cruel for this man who was forgiven an enormous debt to now go to a man who owed him a tiny fraction of that amount and put him in prison for failure to pay. That's outlandish. But folks, listen to me. We do the exact same thing when we hold a grudge and we refuse to forgive. Our debt to God is utterly unpayable. And just as the king freely forgave the servant, so God freely forgave us. And yet, and yet, we turn around and we withhold forgiveness from others, blind to the size of our own debt. Yes, people hurt us. Yes, they owe us a debt. And yes, the debt is real. But in relation to what we owe God, folks, listen, it is nothing. Think of it this way. Our sins are like a $50 million debt that we could never pay in our lifetime or in a thousand lifetimes. And so we come to God, our Heavenly Father, as debtors. And we come with empty hands. And we say to Him, basically, I cannot pay. And God, who is rich in mercy, who is rich in grace, replies, I forgive all your sins. My son has paid the debt. You owe me nothing. And then we rise from the pews here in our church and we walk out of the church humming, Lord, I lift your name on high. And before we get to our car, we think of that person who hurt us and wronged us and offended us and we want to grab her or him by the throat and say, you owe me, pay me right now. No wonder we're so angry and bitter. No wonder our friendships don't last. No wonder we can't get along with people because we're holding a grudge and we're refusing to forgive. Why must I forgive? Because I have been extravagantly, graciously, enormously forgiven by God, which now enables me to forgive others. That's the first reason why we must forgive. But there's another reason in the story that comes up of why we must forgive. Number two, I must forgive because unforgiveness is too costly. It's too costly. Understand, when you refuse to forgive a person and you instead nurse the injury, you harbor resentment, 
look out for some major fallout or consequences because it's coming. You can see this so clearly in the life of the unforgiving servant. You also see in our lives as well. So before you choose unforgiveness, you better count the cost because the pride of unforgiveness, or the price, I should say, of unforgiveness is very, very, very high. First of all, unforgiveness shatters relationships. It shatters relationships. The unforgiving servant must have been pretty good friends with this other servant for him to lend him what equaled four months' pay. And yet, how close do you think they were after he finished choking him? Well, I doubt he had him over for dinner the next day, that's for sure. No, instead, his friend had him thrown into jail. Why? Because he didn't really want the money. Listen, that was never the issue with this guy. He wanted something more than money. He wanted revenge. And that's what fuels a heart of unforgiveness, a desire to see that person suffer because they made me suffer, to make them feel what they made you feel. Mark it down, though. This attitude will shatter relationships with that person. We tend to think that the offense is what shatters relationships. No, 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 no. It's never the offense. It's always an unforgiving heart that shatters relationships. Robertson McCulkin writes in his book, The Two Sides of Forgiveness. Listen to his words. The sin of unforgiveness is a cancer that destroys relationships, eats away at one's own psyche, and worst of all, it shuts us off from God's grace. So the first cost of unforgiveness is it shatters relationships. Number two, though, unforgiveness has torturous consequences on my life. It has torturous consequences on my life. Unforgiveness always torments me more than it does the other person. Look again what it says in verse 34. Jesus says, and his master was angry and delivered him to the torturers until he should pay all that was due him. Warren Wiersbe was right when he said this, on speak, commenting on this passage. The world's worst prison is the prison of an unforgiving heart. If we refuse to forgive others, then we are only imprisoning ourselves and causing our own torment. Listen, unforgiveness delivers torturous consequences to our lives. If you refuse to forgive those who injure you, life will become this massive torture chamber where nearly every human encounter passes through the grid of your own unresolved pain. And if you go through life like an umpire, keeping score and recording every offense, your time on earth will only bring you heartache and pain. It will be torturous. It will be misery. Listen, bitterness makes you miserable. And I promise you, if every time you are slighted or offended or sinned against and, and you collect that issue in your hurt bag, then sooner or later your bag will overflow and you will now need a dumpster. And before long, your dumpster will overflow and you will need a large truck to transport your unresolved garbage. And if you continue living this way, 
you'll have to move to the dump and you'll wonder why you're so down in the dump when it's really just the torture of hauling around all the wrongs you've been unwilling to forgive. You know, it's sad but true. God is still delivering people to the torturers because of their refusal to forgive. Look what he says in verse 35. Jesus makes the application of the story, and he directs it not just to Peter, but to every one of us here today. Look what Jesus writes. So my heavenly Father also will do to you if each of you from his heart does not forgive his brother his trespasses. The Bible tells us in James 2.13, for judgment will be merciless to the one who has shown no mercy. Let me ask you, are you ready to deal with that kind of judgment? God says you and I are going to be judged by the same standard that we used with others. In fact, the person who over a lifetime refuses to forgive ultimately reveals that he or she has never really comprehended or received the eternal forgiveness of God through Jesus Christ. And so the warning here that Jesus gives us in this verse in particular, folks, it is serious. An unforgiving heart will deliver us to a torturous hell. In this life, and even the next life. This is why we must receive God's forgiveness in Christ now. Today is the day of salvation. Today is the day to receive God's extravagant forgiveness in Jesus Christ. Why? So that you now can begin to give forgiveness as well. What we're seeing in this parable, which perhaps you've never seen before, and maybe you've read this parable before, but you've overlooked it or haven't made the connection, but what we're seeing here is that there is an inseparable link between the forgiveness that we receive from God in Jesus Christ and the forgiveness that we extend to others through the grace of Jesus Christ. And so if you receive forgiveness from God, if you claim that from yourself or for yourself, then you must be moved, motivated, compelled to now extend forgiveness to other people. That's the whole point of the story that Jesus is telling us here. Listen, we can summarize it this way in three simple words. The defining mark of God's forgiveness. We could summarize it in these, this way. Notice it. Forgiven people forgive. It's that simple. That's what Jesus is driving home to us here this morning. Forgiven people forgive. Forgiven people forgive. Forgiven people forgive. Say it with me. Forgiven people forgive. Period. Jesus is teaching us here that forgiveness is to be a way of life for the rest of our lives as forgiven people. Forgiveness is to be a way of being, 
a way of living, a way of loving, a way of relating, a way of thinking, a way of seeing. Forgiveness is nothing less than the way of Jesus Christ. And if we are going to follow Christ, then it must become our way as well. Forgiveness is not an optional part of the Christian life. It is a necessary part of what it means to be forgiven by God in Jesus Christ. Why? Because forgiven people forgive, period. And the best incentive to forgive is now for you and I, as forgiven people, to remember how much God has forgiven us. And so if you think you can't forgive, and because those thoughts do creep up into our hearts and minds, do they not? The hurts are real. The hurts are painful. The wrongs that are done to us are real. You just can't sweep them under the carpet. And so when we begin to think, and when Satan begins to tempt us to think that way, I can't forgive, I won't forgive, man, we need to take serious our own forgiveness from God. We need to dwell on the magnitude of the grace of God that was extended to us through Jesus Christ. Why? Because forgiven people forgive. Period. Forgiven people practice what Paul writes in Colossians 3, verse 13. Bear with each other and forgive one another. If any of you has a grievance against someone, forgive as the Lord forgave you. So before we close here, before we conclude, before we pack up our bags, if you will, close our Bibles and go home, let's get to the nitty-gritty of forgiveness. Who do you need to forgive? And if you're thinking, I don't need to forgive anybody, well, here's three tests to help us figure that out. Number one test is blame. The blame test. Are you blaming someone for your unhappiness in life? Who are you blaming for your hurt in life, your misery in life? My life sucks because of that person. The bitterness test. Are you keeping score against someone who hurt you? Are you collecting debts and adding interest to it and never letting people off the hook? That's a telltale sign. That's bitterness. The last test is the behavior test. Are you acting differently because of resentment? Do you ever find yourself reacting to or resenting somebody in an overly emotional way because they remind you of somebody else that you resent? They remind you of somebody who hurt you, and now when you see that person, you're like, Telltale sign. So the blame test, the bitterness test, the behavior test, who do you need to forgive? Yes, that person owes you a debt. That debt is real. That debt was painful. But your debt to God doors the debt you owe to God. And so let go of that grudge and choose to extend forgiveness. Like the merciful king here. Tell the one who hurt you, I choose to release you from the pain that resulted when you wronged me. You don't owe me anything. I forgive you. Because, folks, here's the bottom line. There are no enduring relationships without what? Forgiveness. 
So who do you need to forgive? Let's bow our heads. And as we bow our heads and as we close our eyes and as we prepare to respond, let me ask you again, who do you need to forgive? The reason some of you perhaps can't forgive is because you have yet to receive God's forgiveness. You need to first have your own unpayable sin debt forgiven. And you can. That's the good news this morning. You can by turning to Jesus Christ. Through faith in Christ, all your sins can be washed away forever. That's the greatest news in the whole world, that my sins can be forgiven by God through my faith in Jesus Christ. Christ has paid it all already with his death on the cross and resurrection. But the great majority of us here have already received God's forgiveness through Christ. And now we need to extend forgiveness. To do anything less is way too costly. Dear Heavenly Father, I thank you for the truth that Jesus Christ reveals to us. It's a hard truth, but it's a needed truth. And I ask that you would, you would please reveal Bring to our minds those I need to forgive, that we need to forgive. Lord, shine the bright light of your truth into the dark corners of our hearts where we hide unforgiveness. And Lord, help us today to choose to forgive because it's something you commanded us. I know it's possible through your Son, Jesus Christ. And because it's something that pleases you, I beg you to help us. Help me, Lord. Help us to forgive deeply from our hearts as you have forgiven us. And so wherever possible, as much as it depends on me, we ask that you would give us the grace to heal relationships. In the name of Jesus, who paid the highest price for our forgiveness, we pray these things in your Son's name. Amen. Praise team's going to sing, and as they do, the response this morning is pretty simple. Ask God to forgive you first and give you the grace to extend forgiveness.